Our sermon scripture is uh, found in Luke 1, verses 39 through 55. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And or For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for fulfilling your covenant promises through Christ. And now, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with yourself through the gift of your word. As Pastor Andrew helps us ponder the gospel through Mary's experience and praise of you, I pray that your spirit would give him the words, the ability to communicate, and affect his heart and mind, Lord, as he teaches us. And likewise, Lord, I pray that our hearts and minds would be open to receiving you. Help us, Lord, to observe and absorb your word and your truth. I pray all these things in your name alone. Amen. Please be seated. As I mentioned last week, we're going to be continuing a theme that we began, and you heard some fruits of that uh, with the Magnify song this summer, uh, looking at the life of Jesus through the eyes of Mary. Focus is not Mary. Uh, our focus is Jesus, the one who came through her that as God used her to bring the Savior of the world into the world. And, and one of the, the themes that we certainly have is this idea of magnify, to make something big. If you remember some of our literature for the uh, program this summer had a big magnifying glass on it, and you could you look through that and you you see something bigger. It doesn't actually make it bigger; uh, it just allows us to see it more clearly. Mentioned last week, there is this uh, booklet uh, that was created by a number of folks from Christ Church. There's some on the back, uh, and they have the the magnify symbol, and all throughout there's this invitation to, to see God more clearly. 
And perhaps nowhere in the life of Mary do we come into contact with this more than in this passage of Scripture that we have today. The, the Magnificat, there are a number of songs connected with Christmas. You've got the songs of the angels, you've got Zachariah's song, you've got old Simeon's song, the Nunc Dimittis, uh, but nothing really compares to the Magnificat, this song of Mary, this humble girl from a out-of-the-way town uh, who obviously knew her scripture. The Lord had come to her and had spoken this remarkable thing. Last week, we, we focused on her faith, you know, that response where she said, you know, behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And now we're going to see the continuing outworking of this. And it really is, I was thinking about, you know, last week and this week, they, they really go together because in many ways, uh, this fills out the content of her faith. Because we, we understand that faith is a, a neutral term in one sense. I mean, you can have faith in a whole lot of things. Uh, you can have uh, faith in God, but you can have faith in money, you can have faith in me, you can have faith in your spot, you can have faith in a whole lot of things, but not everything that you put your faith in is worthy of your faith. And, and today what we see as we walk through this is we see the content of Mary's faith and, and really what we see is, is this explosion of gospel themes that, that come together for our own encouragement. And that's really my hope. As we walk through this this morning, I hope that you see, not just see, but it is that magnify idea, uh, but I hope that there is a sense in which the Lord opens our heart. Uh, to really receive, rest in, marinate in all of these wonderful gospel truths. So our overarching question this morning is this. What, what happens when, like Mary, we receive this gospel explosion? It's not going to be exactly like Mary. She's the only one that's ever going to carry the Savior in that way. But to us... You know, to God's people, he always comes and says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what does that mean? How do we experience that? How do we begin to understand it? I actually have four observations for you this morning, uh, different than three. The first is this. One of the things that we can recognize is that these gospel themes are often best seen in community. Uh, follow the story. Last week, you know, we read the, what we call the Annunciation. Gabriel comes, says to Mary, you're going to bear this child. Uh, and then we're told that her response to this, after saying, let it be to me according to your word, is to get up and to go visit her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, several miles away, she had to travel there. Uh, and it's in the presence of Elizabeth uh, that she begins to really, I mean, she's thinking about it. We talked about that last week. Mary was, uh, was troubled in her spirit. She was thinking through dialogizomai. She was you know, pondering all of these things. But when, it's when she gets to Elizabeth 
that she is able to give it words. It's when she gets to Elizabeth that the Magnificat comes out. I think that's really significant. You know, she doesn't respond directly to the words of the angel with the Magnificat. It is only after she has processed it, after she has sort of received confirmation in a way with it from Elizabeth, that she is able to give words to this great thing that is happening. I think that there is a truth here. I I wouldn't want to say it's an absolute truth, but I think it's something worth noting uh, that part of our experience of faith happens in community. Uh, It is through the eyes of others as they see us, as we see them, as we share testimony with one another. Uh, It is in that, that presence of community that we oftentimes see more clearly the things that God is doing in our life. I'm sure many of you can give testimony to that in your own lives. You have maybe come in contact with or begun to wrestle with think through dialogizomai, your own sort of uh, experience of faith or truth that has come into your life, how do you begin to articulate it? Well, others in the community help you find words. They see, I see God working in you in this way. You know, you've, you've changed. You know, there, there's something about you that's different, and, and you can respond with, well, you know, I have been thinking a little bit differently about these things, and that process of community helps us to articulate the grace that God has done in our lives. I think we recognize this even coming off of our last couple of years where for many of us that community was threatened a little bit or put on pause, and there was a sense in which we, we realized our need for it, even if we couldn't always completely articulate it. So cherish the communities that you have, your, your families, biological families, your family of faith. If you don't have some of those communities, I'd encourage you, I think God's word encourages us to find that, seek it out. You, you need that to clarify and to help articulate the things that God is doing in your life. The second thing that we observe here, you know, for Mary, as she experiences all of the the wonder of God's work, you know, focused on her life, is that she is able to interpret it, not only through the lens of community, but she is able to interpret it because she sees herself Uh, as part of a bigger story. She sees herself not just as a a simple girl in a small town uh, somewhere in the Judean countryside, but she sees herself as, as a character in the story that God is working out through all times. You really get a sense of that uh, throughout the Magnificat, verses 46, uh, all the way to 55. You see uh, some things very clearly, like in verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Uh, Then if you look down in 54 and 55, he's helped his servant Israel. So she connects it now to the broader nation in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring 
forever. Uh, There is a covenantal sense that she recognizes that what is happening to her isn't just about her. It's not less than that, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but it's more than that. God is writing a story, and, and understanding where we are in that story is something that is so important for us. A couple of years ago, we went through the book of Colossians and remember everything about that series, but I remember um, yeah, positioning it the middle or at the beginning with this quote from Alistair McIntyre who said, I can only answer the question of what I am to do if I have answered first the prior question of what story or stories am I a part of. You see, we, we don't know how to engage our world around us in all of the things that, that press in on us. And I know, I just look out at you and I think about all of the things that are pressing in on us. Some of it very ordinary, just, you know, navigating kids, who's picking up this person here, how are we getting to that person. We've got our schedules like that, we've got our business interests, we've got our family dynamics as we come together over the holidays. We have all of those things, and then we have sort of the things that really turn up the heat in our lives. Uh, We've got sickness, we've got death, we've got conflict, we've got uh, big existential questions. Who am I? Uh, How do I make my way through the world? Well, we can only answer these things to the extent that we know which story we are a part of. What is the tagline of our life? You know, for for many people in a Western society, the tagline is, you know, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, You you overcome at, at whatever means necessary because the more that you accumulate uh, of status, of wealth, of significance, those are the things that matter. So, you know, as we're raising our kids, it's, it's, that, it's that framework, it's that worldview that, that makes us choose the schools that they're going to go to and all of these different things. You know, as we are in figuring out which career we have, you know, the story that you see yourself in is going to make all the difference in the world because if that's your tagline, you're going to make certain choices. Uh, For others of us, our our tagline might be, we must overcome. You know, we in ourselves, in our own power. If that's the, the underlying sort of melodic line of our life, we're going to make certain choices that, that lead us in a certain way. What I love about Mary is that she is so immersed in the overarching story that God is doing. Every single one of these verses uh, has a root in Scripture. You know, when, when Mary begins to give words to what is going on in her life, she, she doesn't use the world's words. She uses God's words. And God's words shape her, uh, words that are captured in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 97, 98, 99, Psalm 113. Uh, these all capture 
things that Mary says. Listen, just the first three verses of Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wondrous things, or marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm, have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation, revealed his righteousness in the sight of his nations. He's remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Uh, she certainly knew these psalms. She had recited them at feast days. Also at feast days, it was common for them to recite things like the, the song of Hannah. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, my heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There's none beside you. There's no rock like our God. And she goes on and on. So many themes coming from the song of Hannah. Or how about the song of Moses and the earlier Mary, Miriam, Moses' sister. Uh, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord is my strength, my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Mary was saturated with Scripture. She, she knew it by heart. Again, sometimes for modern people, we, we can have this sense that uh, ancient people were, were simple. Uh, they, they didn't have the sciences like we have them and all of these different things. That's not the picture that we're getting of Mary. You know, Mary is a nuanced, wise uh, young woman who really understands in a way, you know, maybe even deeper than so many of us, she understands the world that God has made, and she understands her place in it. So part of the invitation for us here is to ask ourselves that question. You know, when, when, when we're cut, what do we bleed? You know, it's said of John Bunyan that if you cut him, he bled Scripture. Uh, if, if you are cut, what, what do you bleed? Do you bleed the, the philosophies of the world? You know, are, are those taglines, is that what is first and foremost, whether those are, you know, philosophical, ideological, political, whatever it might be, you know, is that what you bleed? Or, or are you bleeding the story of the Scripture from generation to generation, the steadfast faithfulness of God, whereby He continues to work His grace, His mercy, His plan. Thirdly, I, I think it's good just to, to note and focus, magnify, because this is what Mary is doing. You know, when she does this, she is not only saying, this is the plan that, that I am in, this is the story that I am in, but she says, this is the most incredible, the best story that I ever could be in. And look at what she says about this story. Uh, it, it's something that turns the world upside down, or as the king, or the king, the kids just saying, uh, sometimes the kids are king in our households, right? Especially when you name them Josiah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, as the kids just sang, it turns our world topsy-turvy. 
and, and we see that in, in so many ways, particularly uh, verses 51, 52, 53. Uh, he has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. This is the topsy-turvy, upside-down world of the story that we are in, the story of our king, the story of God, the, the steadfast one who works uh, all of these things with his mighty arm. You know, what, what is Mary thinking of here? She could be thinking of a number of things. Uh, she could be thinking, and there surely, I think, is an, a connection to the Exodus, the great redemptive event of the Old Testament, uh, the thing that so shaped the lives of every Israelite. Here, God, with his mighty arm, took a slave nation who wasn't even worshiping God at the time, and led them out of Egypt, the, the world's superpower. And, and he crushed the, the superpower. We've done our work in Exodus, and so we, we know what a, a, an upside-down, topsy-turvy idea that the, the, the whole Exodus brings into the life of the people. Or maybe she's thinking about uh, the, the time of the exile, and she's thinking about Daniel, and she's thinking about the great Nebuchadnezzar uh, who was ruling the world. And yet, in all of his pride, in all of his arrogance... God afflicted him so that he began to eat grass like the cattle, and he grew feathers uh, like the birds, and, and he uh, was reduced to absolute humility and humiliation until he recognized that God is God. This, this is the God that we have, a God who, who takes the things that are and makes them uh, nothing. He takes the things that are nothing like the humble estate of Mary, the one with humble beginnings, and he exalts her, and he makes her blessed. You just think of Mary's story. You, know, you think of women throughout the world, throughout history. How many are more notorious uh, notarized, what's the right word I'm looking for, uh, that are known more than Mary? I'm, I'm not sure that there is one, but this is the way that God works. Now, I, I think we need to ask a question here because this is, this is, uh, this is very provocative, uh, what, what Mary is saying here and what is being declared. Uh, it's certainly in line with all of Scripture. We heard that in our call to confession, let not you know, the wise man boast in his wisdom or the rich man boast in his witches or the strong man boast in his strength, but let him who boasts boast about this. He knows me and understands me that I'm a God that loves justice and righteousness uh, and works these things out. Um, this is a, a consistent theme of Scripture, but how do we apply it? And, and I'm thinking about it in this way. Like, is this something that is to be applied very concretely and very directly in our physical world. It's reported, and I could not confirm this, but the idea 
is, uh, is one that is helpful, is that in the 80s in Guatemala, uh, they, they, they prohibited people from reading uh, Mary's song. Why would they do that? Well, because they believe the people in power that this would empower the revolutionaries uh, to go forward and, and the weak would overcome the strong. Is that the type of thing that is being talked about here in Mary's song? Is it really to, uh, to be poor, to take a vow of poverty, uh, to, to have nothing? There are those throughout the centuries that that have lived in that way, seeking to apply Mary's song uh, more directly uh, that way. Uh, these are the questions that we face when we see like Jesus with the rich young ruler, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Uh, does he mean that literally or does he mean it spiritually? You know, is that how we are to interpret this? Like, this doesn't actually mean anything about our life and our goods and, you know, the things that we have. It, it's talking about an attitude of heart. He's talking about the humble in heart, the poor in spirit, uh, to use the words of the Beatitudes. Do you see the tension that is there? Uh, when we come to Mary's song and the invitation in it. So how do we answer it? I would say just leave the tension there. You know, allow that tension to fill your own hearts and to fill your own minds. I mean, certainly God is talking about being poor in spirit. I mean, there, there's no question about that. You know, we, we need to have a humble heart. You know, the idea of us conquering, us overcoming through our own power and, and our own might, not only is it ridiculous, but it's, it's hubristically, uh, you know, throwing our, 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 our fist in the face of God. You know, to, to think that we can affect our own salvation is something that is crazy. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, there is a connection with this world and with that attitude of heart. The Son of Man himself, the Son of God, had no place to lay his head. What, what was the story of redemption? Jesus didn't come to the halls of power. Uh, Jesus didn't come with a flashing sword in his first advent like he will in his second advent, but he came to be crucified. He came with the same attitude where Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. In the garden, Jesus said, let it be to me according to you have, how you have planned. And that plan brought him to the cross where he drank the full cup of God's wrath poured out against sin. And in his weakness and in his humility, he overturned the powers uh, that would hold us down. So you see, there is this upside-down nature to the gospel throughout that challenges us both in our hearts as well as in our lives. Uh, it challenges us both in, in, in how we think about ourselves and the world as well as how we live in the world. What are you boasting in? What, uh, what gives you anxiety 
if you don't have it? You know, these, these are the questions that help us to see, you know, which story we're in. Are we in God's topsy-turvy story where the humble are exalted, the exalted are humbled, or whether we are in our own story? And that's really the last thing that I want to highlight here. Mary's story here with the gospel explosion that we see in her life is, is filled uh, with a personal joy, a personal wonder, a personal astonishment. We really see that in the first few verses of the Magnificat where Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Here we have the table. It is the, the picture of that upside-down world in which we live in. It is a picture of the great story that God is doing throughout the world because as we come to the table, we join Christians throughout time, throughout space, in coming to the table and submitting ourselves to the story. But it's also incredibly personal. You know, in a minute, we're, we're going to walk out. We're going to walk up, and, and the elders will hand you the bread, and they'll hand you the cup, and they'll say, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. It's an incredibly personal moment where we recognize that in all of the bigness of God's story, he does it also with the personal knowledge of each soul that he has created, each soul that will surrender to him. And Mary feels this. And you know, one of the ways that you really know that somebody has grasped uh, the depths of who the Lord is, is there's that wonder, that astonishment. It's like, God has done this for me. You know, it, it's amazing. I can't believe it. Out of all of the people in the world, I know my own heart. I know <clears throat> the deception that lives there. I know uh, how easy my, uh, my allegiances can wander. And yet God has chosen me. And there is a wonder that is there. And so, brother or sister, as we come this morning, uh, may the, the greatness of the story commingle with the personality of the story. And may you know uh, the wonder of what Mary knew, that God's right hand and his mighty arm has worked salvation for you. The pathway, of course, is the faith. Behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary knew it wasn't going to be easy. She was going to be despised, rejected. Her son was going to be despised, rejected. But that was the way forward. And that was the best way to know the grace of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for 
how it connects with us and uh, invites us further up, farther in. Lord, we pray that you would continue to uh, help us in, in the midst of things that we don't understand. Uh, that we don't have a firm grasp on, to have a firm grasp on the things that matter, the story that we're in, the, the, the way that you, as the God of the universe, has pursued us into uh, to the very cross itself. We experience the, the joy of being invited into your family. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.